Tonight on Hops and Box Office Flops, we cover what may be our biggest bomb yet. John Carter of Mars? Question mark. Hops and Box Office Flops. A place where we can celebrate the underdog films, the bombs, the disasters, the much maligned movies that have drowned in their infamy. So please sit back, grab a beer, and enjoy the show. So here we are back on Hops and Box Office Flops, and if you're listening to the intro, this is the biggest bomb we have covered yet. John Carter of Mars. Not really. They left it out of the title inexplicably. Who knows why? Maybe the biggest bomb ever. Yeah, maybe the biggest bomb ever. With me are Captain Cash. hey What are we drinking, Captain? Uh, tonight we are drinking Smithick's Red Ale uh, in honor of the Red Planet. It's uh, an Irish red, nothing too nuts, though, at uh, four and a half ABV, so it's not going to knock your socks off or nothing, but neither is this movie. No, that is for sure. This movie will not knock your socks off. It might bore you to death, but... Oh, it's not that bad. <laughs> it's pretty boring. And along with us for his third appearance is Chumpsilla. Howdy, howdy, howdy. And hey, I'm uh, contributing to the beer consumption tonight with a IPA from Red Hair Brewery here in Marietta, Georgia. I'm having their rewired IPA coming in at a 6.5 ABV, which is necessary to watch this movie because it is, in fact, terrible. Not a great movie. I agree with Chumpzilla 100%. I'm incredibly comfortable being the contrarian. I enjoy this film. Is it good? No, but I can still have a good time. It, it was not enjoyable. No, at all. Uh, it was 30 minutes too long, and I could barely make it through it. But anyway. I hadn't seen this since the theaters, and I had remembered talking to Captain Cash after it came out. And he's like, oh, yeah, you got to see this John Carter movie. I'm like, okay. And I thought it was okay. I didn't think it was anything mind-blowing. It looked really awesome at the time, and I think the visuals still hold up. But, boy, mm. this is just a slog through the Mars desert with no clear path at all. Lots of bad acting, no chemistry whatsoever between the leads, and frankly, people that all look exactly the frigging same, so you never know who's on anybody's side. It's it's wildly inconsistent, this movie. Listen, just because you don't understand costume theory doesn't mean that they are all the same. I'm sorry, most of the human cast in this movie appeared to be extras from the life of Brian. I'm still not convinced the bad guy in this movie wasn't Biggest Dickus. Do you find something risible about that name, sir? <laughs> Would I say the words <laughs> Biggest Dickus? I stand by my point. So before we get into it, I'm going to give you a brief background on this movie. It was directed by Andrew Stanton. Uh, you may know him of Pixar fame. He directed Wally, Finding Dory, Finding Nemo. This was really his only big budget live action movie, and you're going to find out why. Uh, according to a 2015 Forbes article, which was released on the third anniversary of this film, this movie earned just over $284 million worldwide, only $73 million in the U.S. It cost over $300 million to produce. That's not counting marketing. 
and the House of Mouse was said to have taken over $200 million loss on it. It's not all doom and gloom. It was decently reviewed. 52% of critics liked it. 60% of users. Not great. B-plus cinema score. And uh, the cast I'm about to introduce is my primary issue with the film. They are Gambit, Kayla Silverfox, uh, the goddamn Lobster Johnson, Willem Dafoe, uh, Dominic West, and Bizarro Dominic West, James Purefoy, Mark Strong, and... Hey, 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 you show Dominic, or you show James Purefoy more respect than that. He's got range. And Syrian Hines. So, great cast, not a lot of great acting going on in this movie. Fair enough. So this movie, uh, yes, probably the biggest flop ever. Uh, but it probably shouldn't have been because, as Captain Cash is about to tell you, the inspiration for the movie, the novel by Edgar Rice Burroughs, is kind of a big deal and it inspired a lot of movies that we all love. Not this one, but other ones. So go ahead, Captain Cash. Give us a little background on the novel. All right. So uh, this novel, or sorry, this movie is based on the Edgar Rice Burroughs series of novels, uh, which were originally published in serial magazines. There, I think there are 12 of the Barsoom series by Edgar Rice Burroughs, who you'll also know as the author of Tarzan. Uh, The first, if you want to call it novel, because originally it was published as like a serial in a set of magazines, was collected as A Princess of Mars, uh, was published originally in that serial in uh, 1912, so this movie actually came out a hundred years after it was published, which I think is pretty amazing. Um, it, you can kind of see where, you know, a hundred years ago, the science has sort of progressed from there. You know, in 1912, they thought Mars was a habitable planet that had an atmosphere that was breathable, that there were canals, which was really just a mistranslation of channels from an, uh, an Italian publishing thing. You can look that stuff up, but, you know, science has kind of marched on and this job, this movie does an admirable job of sort of hand waving away that like, you think Mars is this, but no, really it's this. Anyway, we're moving on. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's got a storied history. You cannot name a single sci-fi movie. You can't name a single sci-fi serial that doesn't owe John Carter something. Conan the Barbarian. Star Wars, arguably the Marvel Universe. Superman. Yeah, Superman. John Carter himself is the basis for Superman in a lot of ways. Uh, Jumping. There's, yeah, well, I mean. He's an excellent jumper. Uh, Well, I mean, originally Superman was a jumper himself. He was a jumper, yeah. It's a heavy world or goes to a light world. Yeah. 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 In a single battle. I mean. And to your point there, uh, Captain, this was a passion project for a lot of people throughout history. Yep. The nostalgia mm-hmm. factor was high. I mean, this, this, what eventually became John Carter was a movie that was in development hell for 80 years. This was the first big screen adaptation of this character. And people have been trying to figure out how to do it forever. Now, to be fair, there was a 2009 asylum movie. Yes. Uh, with yes. Tracy Lords. Uh, straight, to DVD, straight to DVD. Straight DVD. I couldn't get my hands on that, but I'd kind of like to see yeah, it. Yeah, with the General Hospital guy as uh, John Carter. Yeah. Anyway. 
Wait, was it Patrick Muldoon? Uh, no. He was on General uh, Hospital, right? Xander Barkalow? I, I mean, I have no idea. I'm just talking about my ass. I don't really watch General Hospital. Or do I? <laughs> I don't. So I wouldn't the, put it past you. John Carter of Mars, comma, Princess of Mars, uh, produced in 2009 by The Asylum, uh, studio of such fame as Atlantic Rim. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, uh, cast Antonio Sabato Jr. Oh, okay. As there John we go. Carter. Well, he's like, Patrick Muldoon of Jace, so that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so that's kind of the background on this. It's it is a storied IP that really I uh, just should have worked and didn't. Uh, the problem is, uh, it's obviously a, a book like this is really ambitious, and the ideas are ambitious. And by the time they could do it, uh, it was too late; it had been done. So a lot of the great ideas from the novel were then taken, used mm. in other things, and it kept getting kicked around. But that's what kind of happens with some of this stuff. Uh, to to Chumzilla's point, this was actually, they were trying to make this in the 30s, and it would have been the first animated feature ever. It would have been the first Disney yeah. animated feature ever. But yeah, let's not, not just animated. This would have been Disney's first animated movie, Head of Snow White. Pretty wild. Okay, uh, of all the multiverses I'd like to visit, I, I would like to see how that would have played out. Racist John I, Carter? Oh, wait, he's still racist, so... Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah we'll, we'll get there, we'll get there. Uh, yeah, so that's kind of the trade-off with Edgar Rice Burroughs, Rudyard Kipling, or really anybody that was a white guy publishing novels in the late 1800s, early 1900s, that if you start to look at it too closely, you start to realize... Wow, there's a lot of colonialism here, and are they getting me to cheer for a Confederate cavalryman? Uh oh, it's, uh, it's the white guy savior. Here comes the, kinda... the the white superhero to save the day. You're incapable of saving yourself. Let's not forget this movie does uh, inspire heavily what is now the second most profitable movie, uh, or at least the biggest box office draw in movie history, Avatar. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's true. I was gonna, I was gonna say that this movie arguably created the idea of the white savior. Yeah, well, you, you know, a lot of people call Avatar dances with wolves in space, but this movie uh, or this story is a much better parallel because it's a soldier. Again, it's a soldier, Civil War soldier, too. transporting to another world through technology to participate in it and become the savior. The parallels between this and Avatar are significant. Yeah. I'm just saying. Tell us about the movie. Netflix described this movie. Uh, this was their description. One, one minute, Civil War veteran John Carter is evading Apaches. The next, he's waking up on Mars, the once fruitful planet that has dissolved into chaos. Chumpzilla, how would you describe this film in one sentence? Here's my tagline for this movie. Martian Night Lights, colon, The Dark Minute. I'll take it. Okay, I'll give you a moment, Captain Cash. Here was my description. Charmless, handsome man who's clearly not from Virginia, he's Canadian, jumps high and falls in love with an equally charmless pretty woman who's the only person on Mars with an English accent. She's not English. There's many English people in this movie. She's not one of them. Why she's the only person doing the accent is beyond me. 
It's one of the very many baffling things about this movie. Makes no sense. You know what? I will say this. I would have been more impressed with John Carter's Virginia accent if he sounded like uh, Nicolas Cage from Con Air. At least he would have been trying then. I, I, I would have been pleased with that. But his lack of accent slash being Canadian was noticeable. Wouldn't that just make him gambit again? If he's doing the same accent? He was only Creole for about 13 minutes of his 20-minute screen time in Wolverine. The other half, he was John Carter. (laughs) All right, I've I've got my one sentence. What should have been John Carter of fucking Mars? We'll talk about why this movie bombed, but I think the marketing did no favors to it at all. That's that's your whole description? What should have been? That's my whole description. Yeah. John Carter of Mars. So we're, we're actually going to talk about why it flopped right now. So, fellas, why did this film flop? As Captain Cash mentioned, the marketing did it very little favors. It's been heavily criticized for that. Its initial trailer, which was essentially effects-free, and I'll post that to our Twitter, at Hops and B.O. Flops. Uh, they had a really awful Super Bowl ad, which apparently also fell flat. I'll post that to the Twitter. Uh, I went back and watched these prior to watching the movie and recording this, obviously. And as someone who didn't really like the movie, I don't know what else they could have done to sell it because the movie's just generic. It's not that interesting. There's a couple of really cool scenes, but it's, it's woefully miscast. And short of having Tom Cruise play John Carter... That would have worked. That would not have worked. That You're not going to get butts and seats for this with Taylor Kitsch, the dude from Friday Night Lights. So, again, I am so upset I had to watch this movie because it was painful. Um, 2012 so Tom Cruise might not have worked. I'll give you that. Fair like, enough. 2002 Tom Cruise would have been fine. He'd have to be younger. Yeah. yeah. But, I mean... I'm going to crack a beer here because I want to... There we go, because I have to, because this was painful. In researching uh, this movie, not only did this movie have a Super Bowl ad, it was screened for the Patriots and the Giants. Oh, my God. Oh, God. Ahead of its release. Why would you do that? Can you imagine being an NFL football player getting ready for the Super Bowl? And they're like, oh, we got a little treat for you guys. You know, here's a movie that's not out in theaters yet. You guys get to watch it, you know in some private theater wherever the Super Bowl was being played that year, and they have to watch this shit? Yeah, it wouldn't I, have been that yeah, bad. Yeah, this is... Uh, do you, can you imagine how pissed off Bill Belichick was walking out of there? I'm sure yeah. Eli Manning was happy as shit. He probably was like, this is awesome. Thanks, guys. Wow. Oh, and g- Generic white hero. I love this. Yeah, but they tried to mark this movie in the weirdest of ways, uh, none of which was toys. Which is insane because there are so many toyetic elements that are very obviously there to either sell action figures or plushies well, that it's and, not even funny. And all the movies that, in, that this movie, this story, this character inspired have gone on to be huge franchises that have merchandised the crap out of themselves. Yet the original, the original material, yes, <laughs> George Lucas, <laughs> yet this movie did not capitalize on that at all. Anyway, uh, sorry. Okay. Back to my beer. Counterpoint, if you sell toys where all the toys look the same, 
kids will naturally assume they have all the toys after buying two of them. <laughs> oh no, not, that's not the red guy. He, he doesn't have a red sash. That's not the same guy. Are you sure? He looks like uh, Dominic West. Are you sure? I'm pretty sure that's him. No, no, that's the other, that's the other guy. I would pay a lot of money for a biggest dickest action figure. Just saying. That's the guy. That's the guy from Rome, not the guy from The Wire. Totally different guys. You got to get the blue sash. I think you mean that's the guy for that's that's the guy from Rome, not the guy from Three Hundred. Uh, like they look. Those guys look exactly the same to the point where he comes to break him out of jail. You're like, wait, why is he doing this? <laughs> why is he saving John Carter? He's he's supposed to be getting married. You guys are are much more uh, up to date on stuff than I am, but. Has anybody seen Thomas Jane and Aaron Eckhart in the same room? Well, I haven't seen Thomas Jane and Captain Cash in the same room, and I'm still perturbed by it. Son of a bitch. We met the cast of a TV show he's on, and he wasn't there. I, I didn't mean whoa, to Whoa, whoa, uh, hold on. That might actually be Thomas Jane. That Sorry, is suspicious. Everybody. That is very suspicious. It's highly suspicious. L- yeah. Listen, I will tell you my experience for the marketing of this film and why I think this film failed. Uh, I I had not heard of this film at all, and I was at my local comic shop, and they're like, "Hey, we got free tickets to this movie, John Carter." I'm like, "Like John Carter of Mars, John Carter?" They're like, "Yeah." I'm like, "I don't know. I don't know anything about this other than it's the, by the guy who wrote Tarzan, but it, it's free tickets." Uh, I was working a shitty job at the time. I'm like, "Yeah, it's free. I don't know. go check it out." I checked it out. And I'm like, "For for not costing anything, I had a great time." But uh, the Transformers movies are not good. No, they're bad. And they have made in excess of a billion dollars. I'm not saying this is a billion dollar film, but I'm saying this movie didn't need to flop. Well, the key about the Transformers movie is the nostalgia factor. So even though those movies are like rubbing Tabasco sauce in your eyes, they're still like a, hey, remember those, those toys we played with? I really like that. They burned up the yeah, nostalgia factor after the first one was a garbage fire. <clears throat> Mr. Wizard, they also did a killing overseas. Yes, they did. Yeah. The, and Which this movie did not. Did not. I, I think and, this movie did better overseas than it did in America, though. Right. Well, but, yeah, there's a lot more territories overseas. Yeah, no. My, this my, did my, really good in the Commonwealth. Yeah, the point, the, the point is it, it, it did excellent in Russia. John Carter did excellent in Russia. But my point, yeah, it's the it's it's the Trump of movies. But um, oh. <laughs> oh, that but, makes me. I like this movie. Don't do that to me. Don't you put that in no, this movie? I, I think I think in addition to the the domestic nostalgia for the Transformers, it translated very well in China. Mm. Those movies did a ton of money in China. I could be wrong. Correct. correct yeah, Mr. Wizard, am I wrong here? No, uh, I I do know that Chinese moviegoers are huge on spectacle. So when they launch these trailers and there's no spectacle, you've already lost potential audience. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and the the crazy thing is, and uh, Stanton, you know, who's won multiple Oscars. Yep. Yeah, at the time of this, too, right? For for best animated. Yeah, he was given carte blanche. Like, they said, okay, we trust you. You market the movie the way you want. Now, the first trailer, I get it's a teaser. But the the world we're living in now is like, if if a teaser falls flat, people get super pissed. It's stupid. 
I don't think we need any more than one trailer because when we were young, like you were lucky to get that trailer. Yeah. That those weren't like this huge thing. Okay, Grandpa. Um, well, wait, wait a minute. Super... Let's point out. Hey, the, excellent topical right now. What was just released in a 4K scan uh, from 35 millimeter film? The got... first, the first Spider-Man teaser trailer with the twin towers and the helicopter. That's true. Yes, and I and I watched it. And that's nothing like the movie. Nope, that scene was never going to be in the movie. It's shot totally different than the movie. Yeah. Uh, it's very spastic, and I think it's a cool teaser, tragedy aside. To your point, it was spectacle. It was supposed to get people excited about Spider-Man. Got me excited about Spider-Man. And I, well, to be fair, that's, I'm a pretty easy lay for Spider-Man. Yeah. And that's okay. Now let's compare, right? Like, that teaser trailer action-packed spider-man gets this helicopter these bank robbers are running really cool the super bowl spot now on average like 40 plus million people are going to watch the super bowl correct me if i'm wrong but it's it's a lot it's a lot of people it's the highest amount of people watching the same show you're going to get in today's television age that's just a fact lots of eyeballs lots of eyeballs and the teaser trailer for this movie is like a bunch of scenes and it looks kind of neat and the camera's moving forward to reveal the title John Carter so then it's the scenes playing within the letters of the name John Carter it was just stupid just give us the scene where he fights the giant blind uh, anteaters the white apes yeah I mean Anything, and let's not forget the Spider-Man teaser we were talking about came out, you know, over ten years before this did. Yes, the Spider-Man teaser sold the sizzle, and the Spider-Man teaser came out a year before the movie. Yeah, the Super Bowl trailer was two months before this movie came out, and and did not sell the sizzle at all. Let's be honest, though, I can't blame that on that teaser because there was no sizzle to sell. Ouch. The thing that sucks for Stanton is, as we've said. You know, I don't think he never really got another chance because this movie, when you cost Disney $200 million, they're going to be pissed. Now, he went back to directing Pixar movies. He did Finding Dory. He's done yeah. some Stranger Things. But I guess the, yeah, the, the marketing execs, like, begged him, like, you have to go in a different direction. And a former studio marketing chief told Vulture, who wrote an article right after this opening weekend where this made $30 million, its opening weekend and lost... It did not win its opening weekend. Said, this is one of the worst marketing campaigns in the history of movies. It's almost as if they went out of their way to make us not care. That is depressing. And the thing that kills me, uh, Taylor Kish aside, and I, I guess Lynn Collins, uh, the the breeding pair. Silver Fox. Gambit and Silver Fox, the uh, the, the main character and, and the love interest. The trickster. I mean, there, there is straight up a murderer's row of character actors in this fucking thing. Like Brian, Brian Cranston sneaks 20, into it. It's a like 2012 Brian Cranston is into this movie. Like Willem Dafoe is in it. John Favreau is in it. Fucking David Schwimmer. David Ross Schwimmer. Friends is in this movie. Well, he's in it, but you'd never know he's in it. Let's be clear. The biggest star that whose face appears on camera in this movie is Brian Cranston. 
Schwimmer, Defoe, a lot of those guys are all just voice actors for the Tharks. Cranston is arguably the biggest name in this movie that gets FaceTime. But in 2012, that how many years into Breaking Bad are we? Four? If we were four years into Breaking Bad, which I don't know if that's the case, I think it's a little bit earlier, he's still by far the biggest star in the movie. That's fair. Breaking I... Bad was bigger than anything else that was done. Like, I love The Wire. Wire's a great show. It was not bigger than Breaking Bad. Rome, great show, not bigger Listen, than Listen, I, I love this movie for the fact that it is simply a Rome reunion. You've got James Purefoy, Syrian Hines, Polly Walker, and Nicholas Woodson, all of whom were in Rome. Okay, wait a minute. Biggest dickest street cred aside here, uh, I'm sorry, Brian Cranston is still the biggest star because of Malcolm in the Middle. Oh, also, huge show. Okay, no. And Power Rangers. And Seinfeld. And Seinfeld. Okay. He's Dr. Tim Watley. All right, I'm so, willing to accept that Brian Cranston, in a bit part, was the biggest star in this film. The thing is, he's utterly wasted, and it pisses me off. So you, you talk about Stanton getting his second chances after this. He His live-action career is not the biggest casualty in this, this disaster. Is it that uh, we don't get a John Carter series? Because I feel like it's because we don't get a John Carter series. No, this this movie led to the the stepping down of Rick Ross. Oh yeah, or not not Rich Rich Ross. I'm sorry, who was the head of Disney Studios at the time? Shortest tenure of any Disney Studio head. He had just basically gotten that promotion. And he's like, hey, look at this shiny new thing I've got. Ah, uh, fuck. Yeah. <laughs> And the the worst part is, is he wasn't a complete buffoon. He recognized there were problems with a couple other productions and had intervened to like rein things in, uh, uh, including a uh, remake of 2000 Leagues uh, Under the Sea. I would have watched the shit out of that. Yeah. And he he reined in the budget on the shitty uh, Johnny Depp Lone Ranger. But that wasn't enough. Save his job. Yeah, that was a good call. We're going to have to fucking watch that movie at some point. Ugh, yeah. Don't... I actually like that movie. Mr. Wizard, that's disappointing. But the point is, this flop, as you indicated, was one of the biggest of all times. It had serious ramifications within Disney. Uh, everything has a cost. All right. Well, let's get to the actual plot of this thing, because I don't. I think we're 30 minutes in. Well, listen. Uh, we don't really need to go through it. Guy shows up. There's a essentially civil war going on, which he's a veteran of on a different planet. He falls in love. He saves the good people, and they win. See, this is why you need to just break down the plot quickly. John Carter is a cavalryman from Virginia. He's fed up with war. He goes out west to be a prospector. He finds a cave. He's attacked by Apaches. A cave full of gold. Yes. Such a stupid story. Oh, come on. Cave full of gold. He's basically Indiana Jones. I I can't back that up. Don't you ever besmirch Indiana Jones like that. Stop right there because you know what really bothers me about this movie? Is there are two things that occurred to me watching it. One was, I'm like, man, a lot of these visuals have a very Phantom Menace-esque feel to them. All the desert scenes, and there's some pod racing, and I'm like, ugh. The solar colliders are very, are very pod racing. In, in moments. Well, there's certainly uh, speed bikes, for sure. Yeah, and then I know there was, the way this movie was pitched 
was it was going to be um, Indiana Jones in space. Okay. Okay. It's not that. It's not that. But then I remember how bad the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull was. And then I shuddered because I realized that, yeah, there's a lot of garbage in here that is very comparable. You got aliens and this, the nine rays and all this. It's just, I'm like, oh, it's too much. It's too much. I, I just, I, I almost passed out from disgust. There is a lot of crap and nostalgia, you know, that's related to this franchise that you can now see influences all these other movies. The Phantom Menace, Kingdom of the Crystal, Crystal Skull. Yeah, there's a little bit of John Carter and all that crap. In any case, after being in the cave, he meets one of the Thens, Therns, Therns. Uh, His who, cave of gold. Yes. Gold. Spider's cave of gold. His cave of gold that no one else has discovered. Says some words on a medallion. It transports him to Mars. He's immediately kidnapped by the Green Martians, who are called Tharks, uh, and is led by Willem Dafoe as the main Thark, Tars Tarkas. Uh, from, and fucking Lobster Johnson, dude. Yeah, well, Lobster Johnson. Thomas Hayden Church is the the star scream of the Tharks. The Thark that wants to overtake Tars Tarkas. Uh, as an aside, whenever we talk about THC, can we just refer to him as fucking Lobster Johnson? I, I would refer the goddamn Lobster Johnson. Okay, fair. Motherfucking Lobster Johnson. Best part out about Hellboy. Bar not. GDLJ. GDLJ. In any case. Okay, commence. Wait a minute. I gotta talk about this cave of gold. So he goes to Mars and he gets transported back when uh, tricky Mark Strong, the always evil Mark Strong. He really is always evil. Turns into a guy that looks like every other guy on the planet Mars and then sends him back to uh, Earth. He's He's gone long enough for Brian Cranston to totally decompose and turn into a skeleton but nobody else has found the cave of gold yet i take umbrage with that i take umbrage with it it was a secret mr wizard it was a secret on apache land and the natives were very hostile to anyone who would come near there uh, the natives themselves would not go on that land no like no stop except for the guy wearing the wig stop 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 (laughs) the natives were scared of the symbol Right, which means Remember? they would not go to that cave. They they were scared of the cave. They left it alone. Right. Question. But to get to the cave, you'd so, have to cross <laughs> Apache land, and the Apaches would kill you. So I stand by it. Makes perfect sense that. No, they if they were there long enough for him to decompose entirely, then it was certainly long enough for terrible America to steal the land from the Apaches and find the cave of gold. That seems fair, actually. Okay. That is very pessimistic of you uh, Mr. Wizard but also but not wrong also very accurate <laughs> so the Thern he comes into the uh, cave and he he's invisible totally invisible he could just let them stay there for a little bit they can't get to Mars unless dipshit Thern exposes himself and fails to murder John Carter which he does and John Carter at the time is wearing one of the worst fake beards in history it is not a good fake beard it rivals the farmer from Roadhouse, and he attacks him in one of the worst ways imaginable, misses, gets killed, then he gets the thing, then he tells him the chant to get to Mars indirectly, Octa, and then he goes to Oct- Mars. Wheeze Barsoom, which... It is such a stupid series of events. If that is not... Klaatu, Baratu, Niktu. Yes, that's exactly what it is. 
That's exactly what it is. Y- yes, you cannot tell me that did not inspire the day the earth stood still. Oh, that that's definitely on here. And another influence, another influence. Yeah. Klaatu, so Baratu, Niktu. We get John Carter to Mars. We find out he's a heavy worlder through a really... Listen, I like this movie, but a really not good wire effect where he can't walk because he's constantly leaping through the air to demonstrate so, his strength. So I'm, I'm a science dork to a certain extent, and that is one of the scenes in the movie that bothered me the most because that's not how gravity works. He was clearly on wires, his top-heavy leaning forward shtick, trying to learn to jump and bound. It's like, that's not how that works. I, I wish they would have had like a science consultant that helped with that because that could have not. There's been no the breathable atmosphere on Mars either. It's fine. The problem is this is this is a movie that came out in 2012. It's yeah. not it's not uh, 1912. Okay, we've walked on the moon. The moon has less gravity than Mars. Okay, so they needed to try to make that more. Re- realistic because the way they portrayed it was just a cheesy effect this is a movie that cost 40 plus million dollars more than the avengers which came out two months later that was not good planning that is not acceptable they needed more input from someone with some kind of knowledge to make that effect somewhat not completely i agree this is a movie about aliens on mars I'll, i'll suspend you know my disbelief here but this this movie needed more more up behind it because this is a more refined audience than folks that are watching this in the 30s, 40s, or 50s. This is 2012. Imagine for a second, if you will, Man of Steel came out a year later. If in the scene he learns how to fly, he was doing that ridiculous comedy scene that we had to witness, that ruins the mystique of the moment. It was so ridiculous for him to be like, he was just trying to walk. He wasn't even trying to jump. So... Wait, hold on. Stop for a second here. He doesn't struggle to walk the rest of the movie. Because he learned how to walk. Uh, I, I, I'm trying. Whoa, to... whoa, whoa. It's Wait, but, but it's, if it's that monumental of a struggle, he has to concentrate every ounce of his muscle control not to bounce off of the planet for the rest of the movie. At all times. At all times. We, we, we can all agree. That scene's not great. I'm just, I'm just going to go back and say I can't... Imp- emphasize this enough <laughs> why this movie is so bad it literally came out two months before the avengers this movie cost 40 something million dollars more than the avengers and there are no stars in it there's no robert downey jr there's no uh multiple movie chris evans chris hemsworth scarlett johansson you know in this movie the, the money did not go to that stellar cast of character actors, Biggest Dickus and the rest of the Rome, Rome cast. Where did that money go? It's baffling because well, it, it just it's just like, wow, how could that happen in the same year that a movie, The Avengers, comes out and makes one and a half billion dollars? And which is a, which is still another comic book property. Now, granted, you had a lot building up to it, but I'm like, this is they're they're both Disney productions. Disney had their hand in both of those. It's almost unbelievable that those two things would coexist in such close proximity. 
I think the key takeaway here is that John Carter had a Feige problem, as in they didn't have a Feige. I feel like every movie franchise going forward has a Feige problem and not there is only one Feige. There can be only one. I don't care to talk about any more about this plot. You don't need to know You gotta much. talk about one thing in this plot that we haven't touched on. Okay, what is it? Fucking Woola. Yes, that's what I was gonna say. The, the speedy alien bulldog salamander toad thing. It's the best goddamn thing. And whenever anybody hurts Woola, you immediately know that they gotta go. Yeah. So Woola is awesome. It's the best part of the movie. And the whole time you wonder why no human or otherwise in this movie can be as charming as this giant toad dog <laughs> who is super fast. He's like Sonic. Inexplicably, but he is. And he's he's fantastic. And then you wonder, like, why not just make a movie with him and get rid of John Carter, who always sounds like somebody stabbed him in the ass. He's terrible in this movie, and he's a good actor. He's been good in other things. This was not a good year for him and it probably killed him as a leading man i, I, I thought his name was virginia in the movie that the tharks do call him virginia the entire time and it is spectacular i do like how they get around the translation convention where they basically have him drink what is it the milk of mars or it's the voice of mars as yeah soon as he drinks the milk yeah. he starts to understand the martian language that was actually a pretty interesting twist you know like oh that's kind of cool the dog thing to, to your point uh Mr. Wizard, the dog, that was one of the few Pixar moments that pull through in this film. That That is one of the few characters that had heart. The rest of these people were soulless, un- uninteresting, you know, jerk-offs. But the dog, the dog was lovable. Spectacular. I want everybody everybody cared more about that slug dog than did about the human... Roman forearmed weirdos. I mean, to be fair, John Wick is basically based on that premise, so I can I can feel that that people care more about a dog than any other human. Yeah, exactly. That well, said, if there are any Etsy people out there listening, I would pay handsome money for a Woola plushie. Oh, it's gotta have like six legs and a big old head. Y'all can so, make it happen. You know they don't exist. So that's why I'm saying, if there's any out there. I would pay handsome money at me, C-A-P-T-C-A-S-H, on Twitter and Instagram. Get at that. Hey, I'd also like to point out that is a great example of, you know, why this movie failed and you can't really blame the title because John Wick has been a fantastic franchise. And the title of that movie is just the guy's name. Listen, I take umbrage with that because... John Wick is an uncommon name, and John Wick's movie doesn't involve fifteen foot fucking tall Martians. Yeah, but but that, but I'm just saying that's not the end all be all of marketing a movie. You can't say like John Carter. Oh, it's too blip. Like John Wick. What the hell's that? That is John, just fine. John, John Wick, Wick one, what? John Wick two, John Wick three. <laughs> John Wick cost what twenty million dollars to make. So no, it, didn't, it didn't have to do big business. I'm just not saying that's the end-all, be-all of the marketing of the movie. There could be a John Carter 1, a John Carter 2, and a John Carter 3 if the movie didn't suck. <laughs> I mean, That's what I'm saying. The name is not the end-all, be-all of that movie. There are way bigger mistakes made than just the title. But I'm not, to your defense, Captain Cash, I will say 
the the title is a mistake, but I don't think that's the end-all, be-all of the marketing blunders. And I will agree, I don't think Of Mars would have saved this movie, but it would have helped. You know what would have saved this movie? Fun. Now, <laughs> let's segue Ouch. into something that is a good time, and that's our Rockin' Red Planet trivia, which are facts about this movie that I went and looked up. There's some true and false. There's some multiple choice. It's not just am I full of shit or not, but that is sort of part of it. So when we come back, Rockin' Red Planet trivia. It is more fun in this movie. At least it was for me to do it. We'll be right back. So we're back on Hops and Box Office Flops. This is our John Carter episode. The biggest box office flop statistically I still think ever. And we are now on our Rocking Red Planet trivia. Uh, we are brought to you by RevengeTheFans.com. This should be fun. We've got Captain Cash. we got Chumpzilla. I'll keep score. And I may have some bonus questions even. Oh. I took notes. Let's do this. Bring it on. Number one is a true or false. And it is this. The planned sequel, Earl Campbell from Jupiter which would have pitted John against an old enemy from the Civil War, was scrapped after this film's dismal returns. True or false? False. Yeah, that, that, that's false. It is false. Uh, there may have been sequels planned, and the film, when you watch it, is structured to indicate that there are, but this is not one of them because Earl Campbell is a former running back for the Houston Oilers. So, to be fair, I would not have known that. Yes, that's why I used it. I thought I thought Chumpzilla would catch it, but I knew you would not. I did. He he, he went to the University of Texas, and uh, yeah, Earl Campbell, tough dude. Something tough dude. something hook'em horns. I don't know. Yeah, hook'em horns. When Captain Cash stated that he had been given tickets at his comic book shop, and he's like, "What's this movie you speak of?" It's because he doesn't watch the Super Bowl, which everybody else in this country watches. I mean, the commercials. Ex- fun, except for Andy Dalton. Number two. This is a multiple choice. John Carter of Mars eventually became just John Carter, allegedly because Disney was stung by the utter disaster of this Robert Zemeckis motion capture animated movie. Is it A, Mars Needs Moms? Is it B, Mars Needs Val Kilmer? Is it C, Mars needs air. Is it D? Mars needs to be inhabitable if we're going to keep destroying the Earth. Or E? Mars needs women, angry red women. Okay, did we did we do this already? Did we we put our hand on this one? Yeah, A. I mean, it's it, it is A. It, it is A. But I feel like it, we talked about it. This is already. A. It, and I'd like to point out right now, I, I'm having flashbacks of the awful uh, wedding scene in the movie, so I'm cracking another beer. To get through it. Thank you. Listen, Deja Thoris' wedding dress is hot, hot, hot. You want to know where Slave Leia came from? Deja Thoris is where Slave Leia came from. Is that in the novel? Yes. uh, In the novel, she is explicitly very scantily clad. Oh. And basically all all of the art that developed as a result. This Edgar Rice Burroughs character sounds like a real dick. He's probably not a great guy, but honestly, if you go back more than 80 years, nobody is. Though I am curious to see how how 80 years future thinks of us. Uh, also, let the record show, I would happily watch John Carter and the planet of 
Angry women, red women. What was it? Mars needs women. Angry red women. Death by snoo Mars needs women. That is a. Uh, now is it death Mars needs women colon angry red women or is it Mars needs women comma angry with red women? Well, it's a Rob Zombie song, so <laughs> legitimately, I just had to include it. Of course, Mars needs Val Kilmer. Mars had Val Kilmer in Red Planet, which uh, may be worse than this movie. So, just a little fact that Mars Needs Moms, 2011 movie, cost $150 million. It made 38 and it essentially killed all the rest of Robert Zemeckis' motion capture projects. Yes. And I'd like to add that it's kind of interesting that that spooked Disney to the point that they killed a key marketing angle on this movie. It's a sunk cost fallacy. They're like, we can't do any more Mars stuff. Just just kill it all, kill it all. Uh, no, I, th- I think they could have gone ahead with John Carter of Mars and promoted the movie likewise, and it might have been more successful. But like you said, they were too freaked out, and they just bailed on it up front. What a bummer. So two things. The public has a pretty short collective consciousness, so they would have forgot about a movie that nobody saw. I remember the trailer for Mars Needs Moms. I know Dan Fogler's in it. I couldn't tell you anything about that movie, but I certainly never thought about it again until prepping for this podcast. Yeah. And two... You and me too, brother. Edgar Rice Burroughs is only the second most troubling author from yesteryear to be covered on this pod because H.G. Wells' The Island of Dr. Moreau is far more troubling than this novel. That novel is insane. And super racist. So, for future, we should avoid at least Jungle Book and anything H.P. Lovecraft. Just so that we're setting the bar somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. So, number three, true or false? This was the most expensive non-sequel ever made. Yes, true. Yeah, I'll, I'll say true. True. Which makes you wonder a little bit, like, how... They greenlit this insane budget for an unproven and untested project. Have you seen Finding Nemo? That was or awesome. Wally? Yeah, Wally. But Pixar had a track record. By that point, Pixar was gold. Anything Pixar was going to make was going to be seen. Plus, kids' movies are generally gold, anyways. I mean, friggin', we got six Ice Age movies, and five of them are a train wreck. Motherfucking Frozen. Yeah, that movie is shit. I'm sorry, that movie is terrible. But holy shit, the kids love it. It's uh, it's. I don't think it's one of the stronger ones, and it made a billion. So my biggest complaint about Frozen: not gay enough. In any event, number four, we covered uh, some of the marketing bungles by Stanton, but there are obviously more. Which of the following was one of them? A. He ignored criticism that using Led Zeppelin's Cashmere a song recorded in 1974 and the trailer would make it seem less current to contemporary younger audiences. B, he chose billboard imagery that failed to resonate with prospective audiences. C, didn't cast big names, obviously, that were would be recognizable to the audience. D, did not even bother to include the name of writer Edgar Rice Burroughs in the advertisement. E, all of the above. cut the romantic... Yes, it is all the above. Yeah, yeah. It is. So I'd like to point out that's horseshit because didn't Godzilla use cashmere 
the Matthew Broderick. I, the Matthew Broderick. I would say, uh, yeah, and that movie Tank. So yes. I, I'm saying, I, 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 I saw that that comment that yes, using cashmere was a huge misstep. No, that wasn't. It was everything else. That <laughs> was the problem. Wait, wait, wait. I, I have a response to that, and it's this. Ooga chaka, ooga chaka, ooga 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 chaka. Ah, I'm. Shit out of Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh, the song thing is silly. I I agree. Uh, because one, there's a huge market for this. Music fans that want that listen to and love music from generations that are not their own. Yeah, that really doesn't matter as long as the song works. Thor Ragnarok, immigrant song, right? Yeah, that sold the movie to me. Shrek Three, immigrant song. Yeah, yeah. like it. It just works. So that's sort of silly. It was really everything else, and I've never marketed a movie. I'm I'm not a great marketer. Uh, obviously, I've sold twelve of my own books. I don't know anything about marketing, but uh, certainly... You've written 12 books? No, 12... <laughs> damn it. No, but, the point, uh, but your point stands, though. That You're right. You might not know all there is to know about marketing, but that is not the weak point here. But music is... Music is eternal, right? Like, There's a reason I have a record player and I play all this old music, because music, no matter what time period you're from... You can find appreciation for it. And Led Zeppelin is timeless. So they're not the problem. Believe me. Touche. Like a band like Led Zeppelin, band like ACDC, a band like The Who, Pink Floyd. Blue Suede. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, they're not the issue with the marketing of that movie. Mojo Nixon. Elvis my head, I, can't, I cannot name another Blue Suede song. It's fine. Number five. True or false now. While filming at Big Water in Utah, the crew accidentally discovered a 60-foot-long seropod skeleton. At that point, the state's land management bureau had to take over. I'm going to say true because I want it to be true. I'm going to say that sounds plausible because they filmed there, but false because I didn't read that. It is true. Ah! And uh, fans out there, Burroughs wrote the novel in Utah as well. Little connection. So not only was this released on the centennial, they filmed in the same place he wrote it. So I do think that Stanton had his heart in the right place when making this movie. It just didn't work out. The nostalgia factor was high. Yes, very high. And you can tell that when you're watching it. Yeah. Uh, we'll skip this particular question, but we'll reiterate that. This film holds the record for longest time in development hell, 79 years. Production first started in 1931. Robert Clampett was the guy who tried to take the Looney Tunes approach and make the animated movie. He was going to do it in the first book in the series of Princess of Mars. Never happened. Now, 1950s, another person tried to bring this movie to life. So which special effects wizard of the 1950s tried to make a stop-motion adaptation of this movie? Is it A, H.R. Geiger? Is it B, Ray Harryhausen? Is it C, Marion C. Cooper, or is it D. Frank Vanderveer? Gotta be Harryhausen. Give me Clash of the Titans. Harryhausen. Chumpzilla? Uh, I'm gonna go with the Cooper. It is Ray Harryhausen. You're pulling yes, it away. Is. Mm. Uh, to be fair to Chumpzilla's point, though, Marion C. Cooper directed and produced King Kong, and the special effects wizard behind that, Willis O'Brien, 
was a friend and mentor to Ray Harryhausen. So he, I, yeah, I would, King Kong, son of Kong, mighty Joe Young, he created really that special effect, which then Ray Harryhausen yeah. continued the legacy. Yeah, of. No, but, he might have yeah, invented it, but Harryhausen yeah, perfected it. But uh, Clash of the Titans uh, is a much better reference. Though. Nothing that Harryhausen did was better than King Kong. Because King Kong is an eternal movie. It still looks good today. Clash of the Titans, on the other hand, I love it. does not look good. It, do, it just is not. No, it I, does not hold up as well as King Kong. It doesn't look better than King Kong. Listen, I will stand by the fact that Willis O'Brien's legacy is intact. He is the originator. His movie looks the best. There's a reason it was re-released in theaters 20 years after its premiere. I love that movie. It's all- listen, listen, I'm going to release the Kraken all over this goddamn pod. Plus, Star Wars came out 20 years after it was re-released, or was released. There's a reason for that, because it it's a measuring stick. Uh, Star Wars looks better than the prequels, for Pete's sake. Yeah, no, that, it, that's I, fair. I, I'd like to point out that that's one of my biggest measuring sticks for visual effects, is the fact that the practical effects in Star Wars still hold up all three of the original trilogy films. Those effects hold up so well. That's a testament to practical effects and what can be done with like practical tools. I'm sorry, but th- those those movies You're are still a practical good. tool. And I am. Yep, that is fact. I am a tool. Fun fact, 1980s, and I kind of mentioned Tom Cruise to be a little witty. He was attached to Star in the 1980s in a that John Carter worked. movie. That would have super with worked. John McTiernan who's been a frequenter of the pod, 13th Warrior, Last Action Hero, Still my set to direct. Movie. Everything comes around on this thing. Here we go, number seven, true-false. Despite its financial failure, Andrew Stanton has confessed that he was satisfied with how the movie turned out. True. true. Yeah. False. Aww. Yep, he's since stated that part of the problems came from him being a first-time live-action director who may have been a little drunk with power after receiving too much money and creative control. This is a quote from him. When he got the job, he told Disney, I'm not going to get this right the first time. I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> Prophetic. But my favorite thing about that is, Andrew Stanton, here's a blank check. Uh, literally, $200 million. Go right ahead. Well, I'm not going to get this right the first time. And, and you still gave that motherfucker a blank check? How do I get that? Yeah. No, I guess I got to get two Oscars for Best Picture Animated. All right. Well, I'll, I'll rethink there. that Get Rich Quick scheme. What did we say last week? Like, Del Toro is in an area now where he can do no wrong. And by the way, he did win Director and Picture. Yeah, you're right. Which we danced around. But he was kind of in that zone. Like, for a while, Pixar was Disney's only winning property. Like, literally. And Steve Jobs strong-armed Disney into getting them a huge sweetheart deal because Disney had no animation prospects. Their movies sucked. They were in purgatory. They were in trouble. And Yeah, they, they were like legit in trouble before they all of a sudden came out of the ashes and bought Marvel, bought Star Wars, and you know, the rest is history, bought Fox now. Let's be clear here. They bought Marvel... Which allowed them to then parlay that into buying Star Wars. 
And then once they choked that down, they could then continue to advance on from there. Also, don't don't sleep on the fact that Disney's animated really kicked it up from twenty. What it was, Wreck It Ralph was in twenty twelve. Tangled was either two thousand nine or two thousand eleven. They had Big Hero Six. They had Frozen. Guess who's a producer on those? Stan. John Lasseter. Uh. So he kind of came in and helped. Yeah. Huggy John Lasseter. <laughs> yeah, D- uh. Disney definitely. It was a progression. They were able to snap things up sequentially. You know, they, they snapped up Marvel. They snapped up Star Wars. Continued to, to move forward and to acquire properties to remain relevant and profitable. It's true. Good business. Next question. Robert Zemeckis, this is a true or false, who we mentioned earlier because of his involvement with uh, Mars Needs Moms and Angry Red Women, was approached to direct, but he declined. True? False. It's true. Pull it away. Dang, I'm losing. He turned down the offer, quipping George already pillaged all of that with the Star Wars films. In other words, most of the best elements of Edgar Rice Burroughs' Mars fantasies had already been borrowed. He's not wrong. He's not nope. wrong. All right, we'll skip the next question, because as we stated, John Favreau, he's in the movie. He plays uh, the Thark bookie who's taking bets on the fights. So he's really like in it for one line. Which is, you know, that happens when you say, hey, congrats dude. And the guy's like, hey, be in my movie. This is a good one. Which of these pairs of actors was considered because there's two actors I saw that were considered for the role of John Carter. Was it A, Jake Gyllenhaal and Tobey Maguire, the almost Spider-Man because Tobey Maguire hurt his back filming Seabiscuit and I was dating Mary Jane at the time, Spider-Man, or the real Spider-Man, is it B, Michael Pitt and Ryan Gosling, a.k.a. the Murder by Numbers Boys, C, John Hamm and Josh Duhamel, Mr. Madman and Mr. Vegas, D, Joseph Gordon-Levitt and Channing Tatum, the third rock from the sun and the ascended Jupiter, yeah. or E, none of the above? None of the above? B, it is C, John Hamm and Josh Duhamel. I thought that was super interesting. Wow, Josh, whoa. They're, they're nothing like Taylor Kitsch. Yeah, like if you no. didn't like Tobey Maguire and uh, well, Mysterio and, are, are kind of in the ballpark. but I would even say JGL and Channing Tatum are yeah. in the ballpark. Well, yeah, even them. Let's forego the Gambit connection there, but still, uh, Kitsch, he, now this movie was refilmed a couple of times. But his physical presence in this film is uneven. Very uneven, like his wig and beard. Yeah, I feel like he should at least try to do some push-ups between takes to try to stay pumped up at times. Because, honestly, as a leaning man, I'm not going to body shame anybody here. That's that's kind of regressive and, and awful. But seriously, he was not that jacked. And he's in a shirtless, like, beefcake movie. He didn't really nail it. Friday Night Lights, kind of disappointed. I'm not going to lie. I think it's funny because there are times you can see where it's very obvious there are reshoots. It's, it's not quite fat Batman and Justice League levels of awful. Yeah. But there are times when he goes from cut up Jack to just kind of in shape. And it's, it's... I mean, he's always in shape. 
He's yes. not overly tan, and oh boy, this is clear this was reshot. Yeah. Or the effects aren't finished here. The demarcation between the two shoots, because I didn't even actually know there was two shoots, it's a lot more difficult to discern. Like, you could actually chalk it up to, oh, well, they shot this at this point, they shot this at another, because I can't remember which actor I heard talking about this, but the saying is, like, you know the one shirtless scene in a movie? That's the scene we get pumped up for. There's a reason we're in the shirt the rest of the movie. Because they then get a little lax. They don't, they're not in the gym at five. Not everybody's Hugh Jackman, five-tool player. I'm pretty sure that was Dickus, <laughs> Dickus commenting there. Every superhero movie that has that shot of the shirtless superhero, like that's the day they've been crash dieting for 15 days. And they look at their like physical peak, and then the rest of the movie, when they're wearing a shirt, they've gone to back to being a semi-normal human being. Not really semi-normal because all these guys are in crazy shape. Yeah. All right, last question, and technically you've won, Captain Cash. Ah, damn you! True or false? This movie is dedicated to David Schwimmer and the cast of Friends. David Schwimmer seems this true. It's false. It's actually uh, dedicated to Steve Jobs, which you'll see, uh, uh, I believe, yeah. in the second panel of the credits. Because Steve Jobs, as we briefly discussed, really <clears throat> shepherded Pixar to being the behemoth they became mm-hmm. while he was away from uh, Apple. Uh, so that's it. Uh, that was our big trivia challenge. Captain Cash has won. He's run away with it. What does he get? <sighs> He gets a signed copy of David Schwimmer's headshot from this movie. Secured uh, on eBay. May or may not be David Schwimmer's autograph or his character. Don't you lie to me about that. I I will hang that up in my Hall of Trophies. William Dafoe is laughing at all of us right now. You'd never know if it was David Schwimmer's character because there's nothing to tell you what the difference is between any of them. I swear to God, if I get the chance to meet Willem Dafoe, I'm going to have him sign a headshot of Tars Tarkas. It'll be the best thing ever. But, 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 but do we talk about the infanticide early in this film? We did not. I, I feel like we need to address that now because... So here, here's the problem. I will freely admit I'm a degenerate. I watched this film on what might be a slightly unethical stream that had uh, Hindi subtitles. So for the first part of the film, I was getting the Hindi subtitles of the Thark language. And then I witnessed the Tharks murdering children that were still in the egg. So you should back up. Tharks are born of eggs. They're not like, it's not a pregnancy thing and it's a live young. They lay eggs and the eggs hatch. And then you get Thark babies, which again... Etsy, if you're out there, I would take a Thark baby in lieu of a Woola plushie. But a Thark baby plushie would be good, too. Dude, come on, Woola. You gotta go Woola. I'm team Woola all the way. The Thark thing's got me freaked out, but continue. No, I was, I was simply saying that uh, the Thark babies are, are disgustingly cute in a, in a gross way. Uh, but at, uh, at a certain point, the, uh, the Green Martians look at each other and they say, How many eggs are unhatched? Nine. Leave nothing for the white apes. And then they promptly shoot the unhatched eggs, which Ah, may or may not have babies inside. Question, wouldn't the white apes just still eat the dead, unhatched baby? Yeah, that wasn't super clear. About satisfaction, don't give them the satisfaction. Oh, 
Well, because maybe they'd hatch later. I, I I don't know. I they uh they do a number of things that let you know the green Martians aren't actually that nice, and we're only friends with some of the green Martians because they're friends with John Carter, not because their culture is actually all that great. Mm. Yeah. All right. Like at one point, uh, G D, uh, T H C. Wait, hang on. Thomas Hayden Church. Yeah, there we are. Goddamn Lobster Johnson. Uh, goddamn uh, Lobster Johnson. The goddamn Lobster Johnson says, "We're strong because we kill our freaks." That's true. Yeah. And it's like, not. Uh, Ooh, uh, wait a minute. Yes, how very uh, Third Reich of you, Lobster Johnson. <laughs> yeah. Yike. All right. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, I have a new segment that I did just for this particular episode, and I had a lot of fun doing it. So we're back on Hops and Box Office Flops. This is our penultimate segment. Again, we're brought to you by RevengeOfTheFans.com. I am the Thunderous Wizard, at WriterTLK on Twitter, and I'm along with Captain Cash Hey-o. and Chumpzilla. Hey, hey. I'm really excited for this segment, and I'll tell you why. Because this movie was terrible. Captain Cash may not agree, but it, it's pretty terrible. And it was marketed poorly. I've come up, and I've told you I'm not a great marketer, but I came up with five sequel ideas that I think may fare better. They're in a variety of genres, but they all involve John Carter. And you guys are going to tell me which ones you think would make the most money. So I'll just go through all five. Number one, Coach Carter. Not the Coach Carter, different Coach Carter. It's a sports movie. So after returning from Mars and discovering he had mad hops, John invents basketball and dedicates his life to being a molder of young men. I think that's a winner, guaranteed. Just like bucks rolling in. Sounds like airplane to me. Number two, Don John Carter. It's a drama. His trip home from Mars takes a detour to the future where a confused John discovers the internet. That discovery leads him down a dark path of porn addiction. Don John Carter. So, a little heavy, but I still think it's marketable. Also way cheaper than this one. Number three, John Wicker. Action movie. Bitter and angry about the loss of his pet Woola, who was left behind on the red planet, John seeks revenge and becomes an assassin for hire. I... Listen, for Woola alone, it's going to be that. But go on. That's got money written all over it. That's a big winner. Big winner. Don Juan D. Mark Carter, foreign language film, becoming fluent in the language of love after wooing the princess of Mars, John, now Juan, dedicates his life to the wonders of romantic entanglements. Easily an Oscar favorite, uh, I think. Uh. I feel like everything's going to be a step down after the Princess of Mars, frankly. I don't know. She's fake British, so I doubt it. Number five. This is sort of taken from a TV show, but still. Dirty John Carter. This is a thriller. Mm. Eric Bana. Eric Bana. After he returns from Mars, John takes to drinking and loses it all. His addiction quickly spirals, so he funds it by manipulating desperate women into marrying him and then robbing them blind. Again, this is like uh, sleeping with the enemy. I think there's some some steam to be had here. Mark Ruffalo does not approve. Which of these films would you actually see? Now, forget about their inspirations. 
We're keeping the same cast. Mine, we're inserting Taylor Kitsch as John Carter. <laughs> oh. Which one's the best? Which one's the most marketable? Any nope. movie with Woola is a better movie for Woola. You could insert Woola into literally any film and it becomes I go with a number two. Film. Don John Carter, The Addiction to Porn. I actually like that movie, Don John. JGL previously mentioned on the cast but i agree with captain cash i think john wicker's guaranteed gold for the record john wick three which grant established brand but still smaller movie outgrossed john carter absolutely it made more money yeah but it's also a way better movie so if you think about this they just sold themselves short there's so many avenues you could have taken this totally generic character he could have been a basketball coach. He could have been addicted to porn. He could have worn a suit and a fake beard and killed people. He could have also spoken another poor accent, in this case, whatever Johnny Depp was in Don Juan DeMarco. I don't even know, because his accent was terrible too. And Dirty John, you could certainly believe after the failure of his tentpole movie that he got addicted to alcohol and painkillers. It all works across the spectrum. That is just had a rough couple of years. Between this movie, the the Wolverine movie, the second season of uh, True Detective, Battleship. Okay, so Peter Peter Berg and uh, Taylor Kitsch had a connection there. They did. They uh, they did Lone Survivor, which is awesome, and it's a true story, and it's it's a good movie. Yeah, but uh, we, we have to be fair to a certain point. He's also responsible for where dipshit is at with Gambit right now. Oh, Channing Tatum. Yeah, there's a reason that movie is not taken off. And sadly, this whole saga of the the Taylor Kitsch part is part of it. I would say this. and The X-Men movies, and we talked about this on the Dark Phoenix episode, uh, we liked most of them, but they were never incredibly successful the most successful one was days of future past they all made varying degrees of money but if you can't sell a wolverine movie you certainly can't sell a movie about a guy from louisiana that throws playing cards it's tough like the wolverine movies did good they didn't do great and to me that says gambit is not going to do well and they wanted to have it with a two million dollar 200 million dollar budget which Ooh, is like that is a mistake. Insane. My, yeah. my, my point is that is like the opposite of Ryan Reynolds and Deadpool. It's like this character is not that great. You need to have some hype behind it, but it's really not there. All right, so uh, we're gonna take a quick break. I really like that segment because I liked making up fake movies where I would have been much more entertained by the flat, lifeless character of John Carter <laughs> than I was in this movie. Uh, and we'll come back. We're gonna do rec- quick recommendations, and uh, I believe we're we're bringing back six degrees tonight. And in the future, we're refining that segment a little bit. I'm gonna have some theme music. We're gonna have a time limit, but tonight they're gonna test me. So we'll be right back. We're back on Hops and Box Office Flops. This is our final segment on our big John Carter. From Mars episode of Mars from Mars. He's Mars isn't in the title. What does it matter? And uh, Ouch. Ouch. we're doing recommendations and we're going to do a six degrees. So what do you guys want to do first? 
Let's do recommendations. All right. Recommendations. So, I'll go first. I haven't watched a lot this week. Obviously, I finished The Boys, which was my recommendation last week. But I think if you listen to this podcast, you're obviously a fan of movies. And The Ringer did a three-episode series with Quentin Tarantino, which doesn't really just cover his movies. It covers him as a fan of movies. So it's he talks about five movies that changed or were influential to him, in addition to talking about his career as a director. And I thought it was really interesting. And a lot of the movies he chose kind of jived with who I am as a movie viewer. So, for example, he chose uh, Enter the Dragon, one of my all-time favorite movies. He chose Valley Girl, fantastic movie. So it, it's an interesting listen because he's a really kind of quirky guy. And I think he's also one of our great living directors. And I'm going to see uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood next week. So I'll have some thoughts on that. And I hope it's my recommendation. Uh, I heard some discouraging things about the way they portray Bruce Lee, which is disappointing, but I'm not going to judge too much because I want to see it for myself. So what do you guys recommend for the week? My recommendation is I just found out Princess of Mars, the Asylum (laughs) joint, is on Amazon Prime. I've not watched it, but watch that and then watch John Carter and then you'll be like, oh, John Carter's not that bad. Yeah, you have a good time. Uh, my second recommendation is that you should read the titles of the soundtrack to John Carter because they are the worst set of puns you have ever read. Like the first one is literally a thern for the worst. There's also the dark side of Barsoom and Carter they come, Carter they fall. I'm not kidding. No, no, no. Th- you're lying to me, right? I, I'm not lying to you. Read Read the titles of the soundtrack. I'm not telling you to listen to the soundtrack. Read the titles of the soundtrack and have a good chuckle. I don't believe you. <laughs> I I mean, I would happily stake money on this. I, I'm not going to bet, but that's absurd. It's absurd. I, a thern for the worse. I'm not kidding. As, as a person who loves orchestral scores of movies, that is upsetting. <laughs> Wait, wait, wait. Uh, let me just let me just read them off for you. Uh, here's my recommendation: the soundtrack of John Carter, tracks one through nineteen, a thern for the worse, get Carter, gravity of the situation, thark side of Barsoom. Excuse me, it wasn't dark side, but thark side of Barsoom. Sabdan punishes, or sorry, Thabsan pursues the princess. The Temple of Isis, Zodanga happened, the Blue Light Special. Carter they come, Carter they fall. A Chains of Heart, a Thern Warning, the second biggest apes I've seen this month, the Rite of Challenge, the prize is Barsoom, the fight for helium, not quite finished, Thurnabout, Ten Bitter Years, and John Carter of Mars. There's a title that they should have included. Thurnabout is fair play. Ah, yeah, that should have been there. Nailed it. All right, Chumzilla, what's your recommendation? Well, you know, this has been painful for me, but I think you guys should all go out and listen to Yankee Hotel Foxtrot from Wilco. This is a music recommendation. Bear with me again. Yankee Hotel Foxtrot. 
Fantastic album. Wilco, great band from Chicago. Go out there, listen to that. It'll change your life. It's good stuff. Okay, man. I'll check it out. One other recommendation I have, and I'll have a picture of it pretty soon, but uh, my cousin, who's a photographer, did an album cover for Ghostface Killer. Oh, uh, cool. Which is really, really freaking awesome. Uh, nice. So I'm, I'm really excited to share that, and uh, I'll put that on the Twitter because uh, my cousin's a very talented photographer, and this was sort of like probably top five celeb he'd want to meet. Like He's a little bit older than I am, but he and I have always listened to Wu-Tang, and the fact that he got to shoot this image and then they chose it for the album is really cool, and I'm going to get it on vinyl, and I'll take a picture of it and whatever else, but you know, stay tuned for the Ghostface Killer album. It's coming out, uh, I think, pretty soon. Uh, but I'll I'll let you know next pod. I'm I'm really stoked about that. So six degrees. What do you got for me, uh, Captain Cash? I would like to do what I like to call the Burroughs Bomb Brothers, which is we're gonna take the two bombs of the two Burroughs films as the leads, and I want you to get me from Taylor Kish. Over to Stellan... Is it Stellan Starsgard? Alexander Skarsgård. Uh, bring me John Carter to Tarzan. Taylor Kish to Alexander Starsgard. Kitsch to Skarsgård. That's what I want. I have... You can time me if you want, but I have bad news for you. Do it. I'm one of the few people on Earth that saw Battleship. They're in Battleship together. Holy shit. There's one degree. <laughs> yeah. And they're related in Battleship, so... They should get together and be like, oh, remember that time you were in a Burroughs movie? Yeah, it didn't go well, huh? Yeah, I was in a Burroughs movie. That sucked. If I don't use Battleship... No, no. Uh, That's good. Use Battleship. We're good. Okay. Because I could probably do it again. But, yeah, they're in Battleship. That's amazing. Oh, my God. Wow. Yeah, that's our episode. John Carter of Mars. Next week... We were going to do Superman Returns. We're going to push that a week. And we're going to rank our top 10 MCU movies. Correct? Yeah. There will be disagreement. Like, it's not going to be a big, uh, hey, yeah, you're right, man. This is great, Fest. Like it was with the X-Men movies where there are very obviously yeah. the best choices. My movies are actually vastly different, I think, than I know Captain Cash's because we have this conversation from time to time and uh, even Chumpzilla so that's what we'll do we'll rank the top 10 MCU movies um, maybe give a best moment from Endgame there's many good moments in Endgame and I've come to admire it a little bit more than I did the first time around but definitely still has the same issues I had literal tears and, of joy when Cap lifted Mjolnir literal it, tears of joy it's not perfect, but it's damn close. Damn close. And then uh, we'll talk Superman Returns, a movie I love, and I'll never apologize for loving that movie. But it was not a box office hit. And, uh, of course, that's the reason we wound up getting Man of Steel and so on and so forth. It just did not do well enough, and it cost a lot of money. Not as much as John Carter, though. No. So. No. But... It's also a test with the fact that nobody likes Hobo Superman. That, that is not a story that people want to see. Well, at this point in time, it's, I, 
I understand there's a hunger for Superman. I'm one of those people. I would have made different choices than were made. I still love those movies. Okay. But I understand that not they're just not the right story for a mainstream audience. They're the story that I can appreciate. I read Superman comics all the time. I loved what they did. You're a true fan. I You're don't. A fan. I I just don't like the 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 climate we're living in and putting Superman in that climate was interesting to me because even if Superman existed right now and he was saving people all over the world uh, dipshit number two from a certain news network would come on the air tomorrow and politicize what he was doing and that's what that movie understood about it and that's why I really love that uh, Batman versus Superman that's a good point. I liked seeing him in that context because he still saved people. It's tough to be Superman. Like he still man. did his job. And it beat him down as it's beaten me down and it's beaten, I'm sure, everybody down that's had to deal with this. Like It's exhausting living in a society that argues about, about everything. Whether you believe this or you believe that, it's exhausting. And to see him humanized in that way, that just worked for me. Because you know what? Like, everybody has foibles. Everybody's fallible. Nobody is perfect. Yeah. But he came back. And I can't say the same for myself because I can't deal with what's happening right now in America anymore. It's it's exhausting. Well, And I, I liked that context. But it wasn't the right way to do it to sell him to the masses. And I, I understand that. It is what it is. Mr. Wizard, I just want you to know that I still love you and you're a dear friend. I appreciate that. Likewise, but I fucking hate that version of Superman. Anyway. Listen, if you like Drunk Thor and you can't associate with Superman being confused and upset that when he saves a, a thousand people from a flood and people treat him like he's... They ostracize him. It's just it's just Marvel bias. I'm sorry. No, I, because Drunk Thor is like the epitome of what he was wrong with him. He's experienced loss. That's the wrong Marvel take to take here. I'll stick by my comment that Captain Marvel is still the best Superman movie I've seen since the first two Donner films. Mm, I like, don't know. Christopher Reeve had a lot of personality. No, no. I, I, She's just as flat. No, I, I'm saying the first two Donner films are fantastic. But after that, it's Captain Marvel. Because she's a, a stranger from Strangeland. She's not one of us. She There's confusion as to where she lies in terms of her, her moral ambiguity. So where's my place in this world? But once it's established and she figures it out that, you know, like Jude lost his addiction. Which, to be fair, you should have known just from the beginning. Right, yeah. That, that, that was telegraphed, telegraphed. But she proceeds forward with no question and is righteous and kicks his ass in the end and stuffs him back into his pod and sends him back to Krypton. Uh, that was awesome. Like I'm sorry, but there was there, there was Donner-esque elements of that film that made me say like they get it. She's heroic. She didn't question. Once she figured out what was right and wrong, she didn't question it. 
and 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 Captain America's that way, and I'll argue that Superman should be the same way. Once they establish right and wrong, they just proceed forward. They don't they don't question it. And I think that's where we were getting with Superman, but we lost we lost it. So let's do this on the MCU podcast. That's the real question here. Do you think Cavill was the right Superman? He's got the jaw for it. I like him. Yes, I'd I'd like to have him back. I want some. He looks the part. There's no denying that. I want some continuity. We've lost Batman. DC being a DC fan is sort of depressing film-wise. Comic-wise, it's great, but uh, it's tough, bro. Film film-wise, it's not easy. I'd like to have the standard bearer back. Affleck was always a temporary thing, so when he was like, "Screw it, I'm out." It's like, okay, well, you were only gonna be around so long, anyways, and Justice League was sort of a disaster. This is like a natural segue. It's a good time to get out. Yeah. You know, and Pattinson's gonna crush it because he's a great actor. And I tell people this on Twitter all the time. Like, if if you are uh, mocking Pattinson for being in Twilight, just watch everything he's done in the past five years. Because you could mock any actor for being in a stupid movie. Because they're all in stupid movies. Is Robert Downey Jr. mocked for being in Johnny B. Good? Or for being in, uh, you know, all the other cheesy shit 80s movies he was in? No, he's a great actor. He's a great Iron Man. So don't worry about Twilight. Yeah, Yeah, those movies suck. They're terrible. They're terrible books. They're terrible everything. The problem there is that he doesn't have a huge bridge between the two. But... No, he doesn't. But he's really making a nice... It doesn't matter. He's fine. He's fine. He's uh, making a nice legacy for himself post-Twilight. I, I'm and saying... I know Captain Cash is a huge fan of the Twilight books, so I apologize. Okay, there's a lot to unpack here, but all I'm going to say is if, if you've got an huge issue fan. with uh, a guy who sometimes can turn into a bat and is in his 30s and is a salty goth, what what are you doing watching a Batman movie? Yeah. Touche. Well, Batman doesn't glow, except in Batman Forever when he has the fire retardant suit. Oh, wait, wait, wait. But, also, also the Lego movie. The Lego movie 2. The second part. Oh, yeah, he sparkles quite a bit. Right? Oh, my God, that's perfect. He sparkles all over that movie. Exactly. There's a precedent. It's going to be fine. All right, we got to cut this thing off. We've gone. We've gone too far. Top 10 Marvel movies coming up next. We'll see you next time. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Adios. At Hops and Beal Flops. <laughs>